I remember at the beginning of my time as a speaker, uh, before I was an author, before I was a columnist, before I was doing any of those things and really getting paid to use my voice beyond the stage, I kept seeing the same voices, the same people getting covered in trade magazines, in Business Insider or New York Times. I saw them getting media on TV covering their books or their topic, having a fresh take on what was going on. And I realized that as speakers, as storytellers, our perspective is what we get paid for. When we're in front of audiences on stages or in front of them on virtual cameras, we get paid for our perspective on something, regardless of your topic, your industry, your niche, and your audience. You're there in front of them, leading them from the platform that is the stage or the screen because you have a perspective on something. And that same perspective is the what it takes to get featured in media outlets. And so I remember at the beginning of my career thinking, how can I get good at getting in front of the right people? How can I put myself into a journalist, you know, Rolodex, if, if you remember Rolodex, you know, those things. But you know what I mean? How can I make sure that I'm the person they call and how do I pitch them without being annoying, without being smarmy? How do I actually show up as like a helpful resource and someone they wanted to cover or feature or include in their articles because getting included in things like American Express Magazine, which I've been in, uh, Inc., all of these places have led to really great business for me. It's led to great credibility. And so getting featured by the media is a key thing. And so I wanted to talk about this with someone who is the best at this. And that is why on this episode, I am interviewing Adela Hussein, who is just the guru of this and invited me actually recently to be part of the Spotlight Salon. It's a free event where there are these interviews with a bunch of the top people in media and getting media and pitching and all of those places. She interviewed us. I talked specifically about speaking, being comfortable on camera and the world of TEDx in case that's the kind of event you want to be part of. But in this interview, we dive deep into what it takes to get featured, the kinds of stories that journalists are looking for, and a little trick you can use to become someone that journalists are aware of, know of, and reach out to. You're definitely going to want to make sure you listen to that about halfway through the interview so you can start using it today to get yourself featured in all of these places that you need to be in order to grow your business and spread your message. So we're here on the show. And if you want to be part of the Spotlight Salon that I'm taking part of, you can get access to these great interviews over at itsyourspotlight.com. itsyourspotlight.com. You'll be able to sign up. It's totally free. You get access for a week. You can buy access for longer as well if you want to go back, which I recommend because these are like top shelf interviews with people. So here's my interview with Adela, though, where we dive deep into what it takes to become a media darling, someone the journalists are reaching out to, covering, and using for their stories. I bet you'll find a couple of things in here that you could start doing today. So you have a story to tell, and you wonder how to own the stage and give that killer speech that will captivate the masses. You don't just want to speak to them. You want to transform your audience. Welcome to the Mic Drop Moment. Bold conversations about public speaking, storytelling, and business that give you real-world valuable takeaways so you can craft a speech, a story, a business, and a life that the world can't stop talking about. It's time to find your mic drop moment. Here is your host, Mike Ganino. You've been, you know, you're one of the people that people know to go to to help them learn how to pitch, how to get publicity, how to become 
you know, everywhere, really, from from like nowhere to like, you know, this person's everywhere. What was the moment for you when you realized, wait, there's something more to this idea of getting pressed than just being lucky, being charismatic, being cute. Uh, there's something more to this and people can work it. Do you remember what that moment was? Yeah. And, and interesting enough, it wasn't, it wasn't with a media slant. So I had that epiphany um, when I was back in corporate working as a management consultant for Accenture. And I, there was, this story is quite funny, actually. There was a guy in our office that looked like Ryan Gosling. Like he was a better oh. looking version of Ryan Gosling. Better looking. Right? And better looking. Okay. Yeah, he's actually better looking. Than, yeah, yeah, seriously. And he kept getting like amazing. And I, I was reporting up, to, like he was my age, but, but I was kind of reporting to him on a project. So he, he, he was lovely. He, kept, he was a guy that charmed everyone in the office. But I just didn't. He, and we were on the same level, but he just kept getting promoted. And I was just like, why is he getting promoted? Like, how is he doing this? And I remember speaking to a partner at Accenture uh, and uh, saying, why is this guy always getting promoted? And he goes, you know what? The reason is, Adela, he just goes up and talks to people, finds out what they're doing, networks and puts himself out there. He just says, hey, what project are you guys working on? Hey, what's coming up six months in the, in, you know, the pipeline? What, do, what are you looking at? Um, and, oh, that sounds really interesting. I've got this experience. I'd love to put myself forward for that. And so the reason I learned that principle of nothing comes to you, you've got to go to it, is from watching this very charming <laughs> guy in the office who just did the work. He did the work. He spent you know, 80%, 70% of his time delivering his client work and 30% actively championing himself, promoting himself. And I think from, because I missed out on a few promotions, you know, you're kind of like this woman in the corner in the office, classic corporate, you know, you're 25 or something, going, why is that person getting more money than me? Well, it's because he's putting himself out there. And I, I yeah, I, I realised by not being promoted... No one else is going to promote me. No one else is going to pick me, pluck me from the little sea of consultants and put me forward for that really desirable project in that country on that with that nice partner to work with. You know, if I didn't actively promote myself, I was going to be at the bottom of the pile getting the rubbish corporate gigs, working for the meanest partner (laughs) and the worst team ever. And I realised that. I realised that. And so that principle then stuck with me. And I applied it to my business when I set my my last fashion tech business up. I said, none of my customers are going to find me unless I actively promote my business, unless I pitch myself to three different people every day and make it a habit, like brushing my teeth. Mm-hmm. And the the so uh, so better looking Ryan Gosling, did he? Because there's this thing about like being charming and also then being yeah, yeah. helpful and knowing what was up, knowing yes. what people were doing. Yes. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, better looking Ryan Gosling. I love that nickname. <laughs> he actually was one of those characters that you love to hate, but mm. you couldn't really hate him because he was genuinely, he was just, yeah, he was genuinely clever. He genuinely did the hours and did the work. So he wasn't just a good-looking guy in the office who charmed his way to everyone. He actually delivered the goods. He actually did the work. Mm. Um, and he would show up and he would have the difficult conversations. 
Um, put in the long hours. He aged very quickly because he was doing all the long hours. <laughs> now he looks like a better looking George Bless Clooney. Him. Now he's, now, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now he's, uh, now he's like kind of like Brad Pitt or something, you know. Um, and, but he just had those conversations. And, and actually the story gets even weirder in that um, when there was a recession in 2008 and Accenture was cutting heads, I wasn't down for a redundancy or anything like that. I was sort of gripping my job, you know, by the claws here. Um, but my, but this guy ended up jumping ship to a smaller consulting firm that actually gave a lot more money. And he, um, and then I saw, hang on a minute, he's onto something here. He's just earning double the amount of money for the for the same kind of work. So I then called him up and said, what's going on over there? Because I'd learned from him. It gets very meta. I learned from him. That I had to reach out and find out what's going on in the market and what, what people are doing. Um, so I reached out to him and he said, hey, you'd be really good. I'll champion you and, and put your name forward. So he then headhunted me to go and work for that firm. Um, and, that, and now he's left and, well, yeah, now yeah, now he's running his own group of consulting firms and is making loads but of truly, money. <laughs> one of those people that's hard to hate yeah. because you want to hate him. And then not only is he like charming and good looking, but he's, you know, generous, it sounds like. Exactly, exactly, exactly. He, he, yeah, he, yeah. If he was in Silicon Valley, he'd be like a classic, you know, one of those, I don't know, those good looking entrepreneurs that are just heading up a company. He is heading up a company here and he's, they were voted like top, they're in the startups.co.uk list, you know, top 100 startups to watch out for. So they did very well. Um, but, you know, honestly, they, they, I'm laughing at him, but. I kind of labelled him as this charming guy, but actually he did the work work. and he genuinely, he kept his ear to the ground, he put himself forward and I learnt from that. So when it came to my own business, uh, my my fashion tech startup, I knew that I wasn't going to attract any customers, I wasn't going to get featured anywhere unless I genuinely backed myself Mm. and so many people don't back themselves. So how did that, how did that happen? So you you start your fashion tech company and you realise... You know, because there's a gap between what you maybe saw someone else doing, him doing, versus you saying, wait a second, I need to apply this to media. I need to apply this to get in there. So what was that? What was your first moment? Because you did, you got a ton of, uh, you were in like 14 pretty big publications in a 12-month period, kind of like the it company. How did you make that connection to doing that same thing? Relation. Yeah, relationship building. I knew that I had to build relationships for the long term. Mm. Um, and it's the same thing in, in your corporate job. You build relationships, you get the better gigs. Um, and in business, the same thing. In business, humans connect with humans and you have to build relationships. And um, once you get beyond seeing people as a transaction and you actually have a genuine interest in another person and what's going on in their life... All the things that you actually want to happen in your business then just flow to you so easily. Mm-hmm. So for my fashion tech business, I knew that um, I didn't, I actually had a very corporate network. I didn't have a fashion, fashion journalist network. So I had a, a you know, I was like, the, I was labeled the Hello Fresh of fashion in the UK. I, you know, for those that know a little bit about the fashion world and in North America, there's a company called Stitch Fix, mm. run by a lady called Katrina. It was very, very successful over there. And I didn't see anyone do that in Europe. And I thought, why don't I do it? <laughs> I'm going to start this company in Europe. Um, and 
from day one of my business, I was just researching who the fashion journalists were, what columns they were running. Um, whenever there was an event on, I would just l- literally leave my house, go to the event. I mean, I was going to like th- two events in one night, you know, every week. I was just like, you know, if they had a, a random journalist had a book tour, I would be there in the front row. Um, they might be talking about business and I would say, hey, do you know anyone that works for this magazine or this magazine or this magazine? You know, I was just, I was making it an active part of my job description to not just build a team, create a product, you know, post on social media. An active part of my role was to network and build my network of journalists. And um, podcasting wasn't that huge in 2015. It was starting to happen. And I was on a, a few at the time. But yeah, I wasn't, I was really networking with the people who were editors and writers uh, and made it an, an active role. And so, so, cause I think my concern would be somebody listening to this says, ah, okay. She says to start reaching out to journalists and things. What do people get wrong yes. when they do that though? Because that's not exactly what you're saying is just cold reach out to people and be like, you know, Hey, wouldn't you love to have an yeah. article about me? Um, so what do people yeah, no, no, no. do? Yeah. So what people need to do is, first of all, work out, start from your business and say, right, who's my audience for my product and my, or my service? And what media are they consuming? Because whenever you start going into this whole world of pitching yourself, promoting yourself, you actually want to tie it back to your business goals and your business objectives. So if your business objective is to grow your audience by X percent by the end of the year, you've got to work out where is your audience currently hanging out, okay? And what media are they consuming? So what podcasts are they listening to? What magazines are they reading? What blogs are they reading? Um, You know, what influencers are they following? Are they following bloggers? So you've got to work out a day, almost like one tip I like to share with my clients in my own program, Pitch to Press, is I say... Imagine a day in the life of your your client, right? And this can be, you know, it's one of those, I know you you love to talk about those, you know, you get a bit annoyed with those irritating avatar (laughs) questions. But actually, try and just think, a day in the life of, when the minute they wake up, what products are they consuming? Like, what are they eating? What are they, where do they go for fitness? Like, try and just imagine where are all the brand touch points for your client? Um, you know, what What are they reading? And just what are they watching? And just start from there and then put your business in the middle. And, and that will help you work out lots of strategic collaborations, where your business can be featured, who you can, um, you know, uh, do a collaboration with. So I'll give you a good example, right? For me, for my fashion tech business, that's my kind of Harvard business case study for pitching because I, I was using it. I was doing it a lot. I had a very, uh, you know, a, a business where my clients were typically lawyers, accountants, management consultants, media executive, these kinds of high-flying, high-professional alpha females, right? Um, and I worked out, right, those people, at the time, green smoothies was huge in the UK. So I worked out, right, who are the most famous, like, food bloggers? Uh, you know, and Instagram was huge, you know, big, you know, the green smoothie movement was big. So there were bloggers like there was a lady called Madeline Shaw, who was very well known food blogger, 
and I thought, right, wouldn't it be amazing to do, you know, pitch to her? Um, you know, at the t- same time, we had Cycle, this spin studio that was a little bit like Soul Cycle. Uh, you know, p- clients were going there. Mm. So I worked out, and there were law stu- there were law um, professionals. So I thought maybe I could do a collaboration with a, a law firm. So I did it. I weirdly had a client, uh, someone in the office who knew Madeline Shaw. Um, you know, it was just so random, you know, because I said we need to connect to some food bloggers. And she said, well, I happen to know this very famous one. I said, brilliant. But if I hadn't done that upfront thinking, I would never connect to the dots. So the next thing I know, Madeline Shaw does this, you know, we, we send her a box. She loves the clothes. She does it in her stories. And but then she gets given a lot of money to do a Colgate toothpaste <laughs> advert. But she features a leather jacket that we gifted her. So immediately she tags us in a paid advert for Colgate, but this little startup, my little startup gets, explodes because, you know, people are seeing, but we're tagged in it too. And then, you know, I did uh, in-person events with law firms. I pitched a cycle. See, you work out all these sideline industries that your business, that your client is, um, you know, that your client is engaged with and then you pitch to those places and you work out where you should start pitching to. Mm-hmm. So it's, 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 it's not about just finding a journalist. It's actually thinking very strategically. Does that make sense? Well, because I imagine that journalists then are looking at people like those places to also pick up. Right. They're looking and saying, Absolutely. what are they looking at? What are they wearing? Where are they buying from? Because the journalists... I went to, so I went to college for journalism, so I like to pretend like I know some things. Um, so you yeah, correct yeah. me if I'm wrong here. But the idea for the journalists is like there's some high stakes in them getting it wrong and them covering the wrong person or putting the wrong thing out. So they, they look to where other people, companies and, and big bloggers, what are they using and talking about, right? Exactly, exactly. And this is a power of starting at the grassroots level that so many entrepreneurs end up missing out on. They end up saying, right, you know, I get entrepreneurs coming to me and say, I want to be in Forbes or Harvard Business Review, and that's it. And so they almost shoot for the moon, and and I love their ambition, but what they're not realizing is that those journalists like to look up, you know, other journalists work they like to see that you're an active company that you are being featured on lots of podcasts you know that bloggers are featuring you because like you say especially in a very kind of trended industry like fashion they're looking at what the influencers are who the influencers are partnering with so um i actually a case in point is um because i had done loads of collaborations with influencers. So I looked at micro-influencers. I didn't even go for the big influencers. I did hit a few big ones, like Madden Shaw um, and Dolly Alderton, you know, and some of the famous ones over here in the UK. But I often went for those smaller people. Because because those journalists were following them, I then got a feature... I got a, a, you know, the Times approached me and said, hey, I noticed that you were featured on so-and-so's, you know, Instagram grid recently. I'm curious about your service. Would you send me a box Mm. of it? And and interesting enough, in the Times um, article, the first line says, this company, uh, you know, is attracting a lot of attention from all these cool influencers like XX and what, ABC. So journalists were looking at that particular time for influencers and who they were following. 
So never underestimate the power of that grassroots. And level. that probably gives that you actually. It. it gives you like even yeah. more credibility with someone reading Definitely. it. So if someone's reading it and they're reading the Times, and it's not just like the Times saying, "Oh, we got a box from this person. It was great stuff." But they say we were interested in this because we saw so and so, so and so, so and so, and so we requested it. That I feel like that adds more credibility to the product. Definitely, definitely. And journalists, the journalists also is clever and they're enhancing their own reputation by aligning themselves with the influencers of the moment. So, I mean, I, I, I didn't realize that at the time. I was just an entrepreneur trying to get my business out there as much as possible. Um, uh, and I was being strategic about who I was partnering with. But I never at that time realized until I saw that Times article out about my business how powerful those influencers were mm-hmm. because they were quoted in the very first line mm-hmm. as that you know credibility marker for their own journalist you know for that very journalist so um yeah you definitely start at that grassroots level and think who's running the best business podcast at the moment or you know who's up and coming at the moment you know and start showing that you're an active business and you are genuinely making the effort to to be visible every week because when a journalist does their due diligence, they're looking for an active business. They don't want to be featuring a, a business that's scamming people and it's just sort of like a ghost business. They actually genuinely, do, you know, they have... Re- i just done a recording for the Spotlight Salon with a journalist and she highlighted the fact that journalists have these very um, fragile reputations and it's almost like one hit and you're out. If you feature a poor business um, and you didn't do your research and that business was scamming people, that's your reputation in tatters. You know, you've destroyed your reputation overnight. So they that's why they also look for examples and case studies of who else that business has partnered mm-hmm. with because they know that, oh, if they featured with those those people already, then they must be a good bet. And then, they, then they'll do their own digging. Does that make sense? Yeah, and it's a really interesting thing to think about for... You know, like so often we'll think that, you know, somebody somebody with a big following plugging you or something is about like, oh, am I going to get an immediate sale? Am I going to get an immediate referral? But there's this whole other yeah. thing that you're helping me realize. There's this value in that brand equity that it builds in a way. Absolutely. It's a long-term game. And, 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 and lots of entrepreneurs come into this process a little bit short-sighted and they say, well, I want to be in Forbes. Uh, and then I want to get 3,000 people on my email list and I want to make, you know, $100,000 in sales. And, it's, you know, and I get, I love the ambition and I love the, you know, the smart goal here, right? You know, I'm a consultant, so I get it. But remember that there's a snowball effect with every feature that you work really hard to get, you know, especially if it is in a major publication mm-hmm. That major publication has such powerful SEO that that SEO will go on for such a long time. I mean, when I wound my fashion business down, I, mean, I don't know how this woman had my number, but she got hold of my number. <laughs> I got a call three months ago asking for my special trousers. I used to have these <laughs> hit trousers I used to sell. So what? This was like, you know, five years later, four years later, I'm getting phone calls from people because that article is still out there talking about those trousers and it has that longevity. Um, So never underestimate that, you know, even if it feels like it's a lot of effort first to get visible, you know, we are leaving a digital footprint behind and we don't realize it. Yeah. So I want to ask you your take on, 
you know, so many of the people that are that are going to be listening to this episode on the mic drop moment are speakers, um, aspiring speakers, current speakers. And so their currency, their their product is them going and speaking somewhere, going and doing a training, uh, maybe selling books. You know, a lot of them have books. Is there a different approach for someone in that world where maybe the the getting mentioned in media is more as being used as an expert. Would you tell them to approach it differently or would you say, nope, do the same as I've said so far? Um, no, I, good question. Very good question. I would tell them to approach, uh, to, to, to do one specific technique, which I really love called newsjacking where, um, a very good, if you're an expert in a particular field, you should certainly set up some Google alerts for your expert topics. So say you're, you know, an expert topic in, I don't know, something in child psychology, for example. Um, And you can get very specific and say, you know, bullying, childhood bullying and anxiety. Set up an expert, set up a Google alert for that. So that whenever a big rolling news story breaks out, you know that it's breaking out and you can read that story straight away because there is a chance for you to then comment on that. Because what a journalist is typically looking for is they're looking to move the story on to the next chapter. So mm. a lot of people read the news when they start researching to pitch and they go, right, I can, I can talk about that. But by then, if it's a rolling news story, it may have moved on. And so what you really need to do is say, right, where is it going to move to? And can I comment on that? And that little, you know, prediction that that story is what you pitch on. So if if you're a, an expert, what you start doing is working out what are all your three to five expert topics. What do you like to talk about? Set up your Google alerts for those, and it's a little bit like forming a a, a story here, like a, your you know like a TED talk, um, Mike, where you work out what are the things the stories that you're going to tell, right? But actually, in this case, what are, the, what are the story angles? What are the different topics you're going to touch on? And what are the angles that spin off from that? And then how can you comment on that in the media? So, you know, you, start, you can start with newsjacking. And newsjacking is a very easy, quick way to do that. Uh, so a good example I always like to talk about is one of my former students, um, a lady called Anna. She's phenomenal. She's you know a child psychologist. So I love to talk to her, talk about her because she's always featured in the media. Um, you know, earlier this year we we sadly had the Ukraine war break out. So you know because she supports children and anxiety, she immediately saw the Ukraine war was breaking out. So she pitched a story which was how to talk to your child about war, mm. you know, if your child is feeling anxious. So can you see she hooked into an existing news story, a story that was evolving, right? So obviously people at the time were talking about refugees and supporting and charitable causes. But she also thought very carefully as an expert, hang on a minute, there's going to be children watching the news. They're going to be terrified of this. They're going to be anxious. They're going to go to school. They might have friends from Ukraine. How are they going to handle that? They might have friends from Russia. You know, very difficult situation. So she then provided the media with expert commentary on how to do Mm. that. And she was on TV talking about it, you know, on this morning. So that's a good example. And so that's what you need to think as an expert. As an expert, you have a deep expertise what are the parameters of the stories that you can tell? And then, you know, what are the new stories that are rolling out and how can you hook onto them? I love that, that idea because it's, you know, one of the things I always encourage people to do is to really 
develop a, a point of view, a perspective at which they look at everything so that yes. we can, in a speech, find, okay, we don't need to always tell an on-the-nose story, you know, that, that just directly yes. proves what you're doing. How can we look at lots of things and bring you in as this expert? Because I think it makes you really shine. So I love this idea of, you said, to kind of follow the story or predict almost where might this go. So are a lot of yes. journalists looking for us to say, hey, here's like coming to them with a full like, here's what I think this could be kind of article um, versus coming and saying, hey, by the way, if you need someone to talk about this, I'm the guy. Are they looking for us to kind of package yeah. it a little bit? It's actually both. This is a really, really good question. Um, and I've, I've actually asked the, the same question myself. Um, uh, and I've heard, so, you know, I have a friend, uh, a journalist I know who works the, the Financial Times as a food critic there. Um, and his perspective was actually sometimes journalists love to be given snippets of things so they can flesh out the story. So actually, sometimes sometimes it can shoot you in the foot if you try to flesh out the story too <laughs> you're much. You're doing their job. So you're doing their job and they're trained in this. So actually, what you really, you want to keep your pictures as short as possible. Okay. So because they're getting pictures all the time in their inbox. They don't want war and peace. You know, and chances are they're probably not even going to read it. So that's where you, you know, I work with people to say, right, how do you follow on from a pitch? How do you layer a pitch? Can you use voice notes and different different techniques, right? So there's lots of different ways to, to, to target journalists. Um, but when you are writing a pitch, keep it as short as possible. But just give them the highlights. I'm an expert in this. This story is rolling out. I could comment on X, Y, and okay. Z. You know, boom. Um, the reason it's important and it adds value to audiences X, you know, and it, you know, a really easy technique you can do is tweet a journalist. Hey, this story's breaking out. I can comment on this. That's the shortest pitch you'll ever you'll ever do, unless you could do a, less than a one minute voice note as well, which <laughs> yeah. I've done. But. <laughs> but the tweet thing is really interesting because you know. they're probably out there looking for what are people saying because they're trying to also predict where's the story going to go so I can have. I can have something before because they're competing with other journalists to be first, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And actually, it's deeper than this. So going back to my um, consulting days, the reason I'm, I also have inside, uh, an insider's view about journalists is because I was um, employed to work at Sky Sports News tr to transform the news studio there. So I was a management consultant, you know, doing the kind of, right, which department, which which teams were you going to get? Rid so you were of? like that movie, uh, and this, uh, you were like the the George is, Clooney that. in that movie. I was. That was my role. That was my role. Like I was a transformation consultant, so I was George Clooney and up in the air, <laughs> um, and, you know. And it's it's not a fun place to be sometimes, but uh, they, they the this studio was just incredible when I was working with them to transform it. But I went into those Monday morning meetings. And the head of Sky Sports News, the director, would sit at the front and it was probably one of the scariest meetings. I wasn't scared because I wasn't the journalist. I was just there working out, you know, telling him how he could improve the meeting, right? But I could see these journalists coming in, like, shaking, like, slightly hungover from the weekend, like, <laughs> shaking paper, uh, talking to the big boss, saying, um, and you say, right, what have you got for me for this week? What are we going to write about? Um, and they would be, like, nervous. And so I always say... I always tell my students when I work with them in Pitch to Press, you are helping keeping, you're helping to keep a journalist in their job. Mm -hmm. Like journalists are not gods. 
You, by giving them you, your story, you are keeping them in their job because without your story, they cannot pitch their boss. They've got nothing to write about. So actually, you are in a position of privilege here and you need to be putting your story out there because they've got, you want to keep a journalist in their job, basically. Yeah. Um, and that reframe really lands with people because that then stops them thinking that journalists are on some sort of power pedestal, sure. you know, above them. <laughs> And um, so, yeah, you've got to be following these journalists, thinking about how you, you know, what stories are they going to be writing about and, and offering up your story. Mm-hmm. And so and what do you do? OK, so go back going back to the, the audience here. So speakers, that yes. was really clear advice of if, if you're a speaker, you're probably getting hired because you're an expert. So what you just yes. explained, get your three to five topics, really be looking for the story, be looking for where it's going next. So clear, so easy to follow. What about when yes. we have, you know, because I get like a new product coming out. I, I get, I could see how you would package that. What if it's a book? Who wants to, who wants to, yeah. how do you pitch a book? Oh, great. So, so I've had this conversation as well with people who have written books in the past, you know, who write about books all the time. Before you even get to the stage where you're actually getting your book deal, you need to be building your audience so that when you get your book deal and you hit publish on your book, there is a ready-made audience to sell that book Mm -hmm. to. So, because the reason is a lot of these publishing houses have cut costs from their PR departments. So when it comes to, um, you know, I've spoken to book editors about this as well. When When it comes to a book proposal on that sheet that you write for your book deal, you are going to be sharing statistics on how big your audience is and what you currently do to market your expertise. Mm-hmm. If you leave that area blank, you're not going to get a book deal because they want to make sure, you know, it's, it's, it's a business deal. They want to make sure that when that book is published, there is a ready-made audience to sell that book to. So you need to rewind. So if you're planning to write a book in three years' time or two years' time, You need to be growing your audience as much as possible. And talking about your expert topics regularly, that will be featured in your book so that you're really bringing in the people who are interested in hearing about that topic so that by the time you hit, you know, publish on that book, you've you've taken them on that journey. So, you know, it's also about building, you know, building out in public, right? So you're going to be sharing the journey about how you write the book and here I am writing chapter one of the book. But as long as you are going out there and getting strategic collaborations regularly, you know, every week, every fortnight, every month to grow that audience, and you're talking about those expert topics, it makes it so much easier by the time you hit publish on mm-hmm. that book. And Does that make And yeah? is it the same for if you publish your book, you know, you've done this, and I can see now where if you did the earlier things we were talking about, if you're a speaker or an expert, do the earlier things, get the media to talk about you, people will start following you, listening to you. So when you package the book, you'll say, oh, by the way, I've been in these places yes. with these audiences. What about, Absolutely. is there a play to get journalists to cover the book? How do I, so my book's coming yeah. out, I've got the audience, the publisher's excited, we got people ready to go. How do I get journalists to talk about my book? How do I use that relationship? So you, in order to get a journalist to talk about your book, you need to first of all work out which journalist the ones, which journalist has an audience okay. that is likely to consume that, read that book, right? So say you're writing a book about 
um, love, for example, (laughs) I'm choosing a cheesy one here, love and relationships in the digital age. I've just made that up, right? Um, You want to be following influencers who, you know, are, you know, uh, talk about relationships all the time. You want to be, you know, divorce coaches, um, you know, journalists who might have had a breakup, who are talking publicly about their breakup, journalists who are on the quest to find love and, you know, like a kind of Carrie Bradshaw (laughs) gallivanting around New York looking for, you know, Mr. Big or whatever. Um, You want to be following those people in advance and reaching out to them, networking with them, and pitching to them and reading their columns, read their columns, read their articles. This is what a lot of people do not do, right? They say, I want to, I've got a book coming out. Uh, I want my book to be featured in, uh, you know, Marie Claire, for example. But they have no idea who the Marie Claire journalist is. Mm. They, they don't even know who covers relation, love and relationships in Marie Claire. Who covers love and relationships in The Cut or, you know, the, the, the Refinery and those blogs, those very popular blogs. So they're not following those very specialist journalists. So first of all, follow the specialist journalist. Network with those journalists. Often journalists are diversifying their own forms of income, so they're writing books themselves. So if they've got a book launch or they're going to a networking event or they're talking somewhere, go there and meet them in person mm. and form that relationship with them. So you know, I've my, you know, there's a group here in the UK. I, I've suddenly found myself in this journalist group, and it's brilliant. It's brilliant for me. It's brilliant for my client. journalists have their own networking groups go and find them and infiltrate those groups and make friends with them but do it you know from a place because you're genuinely interested in building relationships with them and then um when you know you've got your book coming out what you want to be doing is then share sharing the fact that you're writing a book to these journalists hey i'm working on a book oh what's your book about oh it's about this you know and keep them updated on the progress of that book so you to, you know, a lot of people want to be, they think they're building out in the open just for their audience, but build out in the open for all the people you want to be collaborating with in the future. Yeah, because I could even see how if those, if, you know, one of the things I did after you and I first started interacting, and I don't remember if it was a direct advice or if it was something you said that yeah. made me say, ooh, go do this. I created a Twitter list, a private Twitter list, because on Twitter you can make lists of people. So that when I go on Twitter, I've got thousands of followers. I'm seeing all kinds of things. But I made a list after I was talking with you, um, learning from you, really. And I created a list of the kinds of journalists that I want to build relationships with. So now when I go on Twitter, instead of just scrolling through whatever's happening, I can go to that list and I can see what are these journalists talking about? What kinds of things are they covering? And it made it really focused. So now I'm getting where... The more I interact, some of them are interacting back. They're writing back to me. They're seeing that I'm lifting up their content, that it, genuinely sharing the stuff they're writing. And I could see if Absolutely. I was putting out a book, they'd start to see it and say, ooh, I'm working on an article on, you know, how to be, how to be on camera. I should reach out to this guy because I've seen him around. Is that how that works? Yes, exactly, exactly. And that is, you're... You're, you're actually following someone's work, a journalist's work, or it could be a podcaster or whoever you're trying to bitch to. You're following their work. You're commenting on their work. If you can add value to the work, even better. Mm-hmm. And then they then start to notice you. And the most, the, the brilliant thing about that is, is then, then you're aware of what they're putting out there. 
And so because you're aware of what they're putting out there, you can then comment on that and say, hey, I noticed you talked about, um, you know, breakups in your recent article. Um, and I read it and I really enjoyed it. But ha- but you haven't really talked about, um, you know, uh, you know, breakdowns or something you know (laughs) and I can give an expert comment on breakdowns so you've got to be following the content and the what journalists are writing in order to comment and add value to what they're doing and then then align yourself in with a pitch does that make what I could see how it would make the the pitch even more uh customized or clear because you'd understand what they're looking for. It's the same thing when I tell people about pitching for TEDx's. Go and see what is the event, what are they doing, what have they done in the past, is there a theme, do they kind of like certain things, so that your pitch really can be not cover me, cover me, but could be, ooh, I get what yes. you're, I get what you're, what you're trying to put out there, I think I can help with that, here's my idea. And especially for the people listening to this show, who are experts and the, our value is our ideas, not our physical product, this really feels like this is the way to do it, what you've suggested here. Absolutely. And I like to summarize it with lead with the story and not your ego. <laughs> because when you start leading with the story, the story takes over. And so your pitch then becomes less about feature me and me and my ego and more about the story and this is what's happening mm. and this is where I can comment on it to move that story on to add value to your audience. I love it. The way to check if you are leading with a story and not your ego is to look at your pitch when you've written it and see how many eyes are there versus yous. <laughs> because if there's lots of, if there's lots of uh, eyes... You're talking about your ego too much. You're talking about me. I can do this. Feature me. Blah blah blah. If there's lots of you's in the pitch, so there's you. I always like to have it as an equation. You is bigger than the number of eyes. Yeah. So if there's more you's and yours, that means you've got the balance in the pitch right, and you're featuring. You're you're saying right your audience, your story. Um, and it's it's really crystal clear that you're moving in the direction of of what their audience is mm-hmm. wanting, what the story is. And is that do you, is that the equation that the people? Because you know, I, I think a lot of folks we could say, ah, I keep seeing this one all the time. I keep seeing this person out there. Why do they keep getting picked? Why is it the same voices? Is it because they've mastered that equation? Even though we see yes, them and we think, yeah. wow, they're a star. It's that behind the scenes when they're talking to these journalists, media, podcasts, TV that they're doing this equation better than we are? Is that why they're getting covered? There's actually, yeah, there's a couple of things actually going on when someone gets gets featured a lot. Uh, number one is, well, the, the reason they're featured in the first place is that they've become confident. They've, they've mm. removed their ego from the equation. They've removed their fear, their inner critic from pitching. And they're just like, right, I've just got to do it. And they just throw themselves into it, right? And they just do the work. They take the time out every day to craft a pitch to someone to network with someone to build a relationship with someone and they do the work so that's number that's number one reason why you see someone featured number two is why they're always getting featured it's because they they're in what i call the snowball effect they've started getting featured um and so they've started getting those credibility markers on their website they've started getting featured on articles or podcasts and then it's this beautiful thing that happens, right? Where 
their confidence suddenly zooms up because they're like, oh, wow, it's not that difficult. I can do it. And they do more of it, right? They get addicted to it. And that's what happened to me. I got in 14 publications very quickly because I was like, this isn't rocket science. It's just, a, it's just a, it's like learning a skill. It's like learning how to drive. You just get, you do the skill and then you, you do more of it. And then you keep doing more of it and you just get really confident. So you, you, they start putting themselves out there more for more opportunities. And then they, by, you know, a volume game, they start getting more opportunities back. The third thing that happens is other journalists start to spot their work and what they're doing because they're getting featured and then what happens is there's this beautiful pivot in their pitching journey where they, need, they can stop pitching because they're getting invited to stuff. Because other people are seeing mm. their work and they say, oh, I've seen that person in three different places. And they seem, you know, like summits, for example, right? Oh, I've seen Mike Ganino in four summits in the last month. He's on a bit of a roll, isn't he? He must, he's doing really well. I think I'll ask him to be on my summit, you know? <laughs> And, and, you know, Mike's getting really addicted to summits because he's getting these invitations left, right and yeah. centre. So it becomes this, like, beautiful snowball effect. And, you know, that's, that's all it really is. So you just have to start and let the momentum build up. And the first kind of year will feel difficult. You know, you will get no's. But then when you get those yeses, those yeses will multiply and multiply and amplify and mm-hmm. things will then change for you. Well, it, it's well. So, okay, this is a this is going to be my like introduce the smooth segue moment here because what you just said is, <laughs> you know, Mike being on Summit, I saw him somewhere. Someone said something, this thing, and that's exactly how you initially reached out to me to be part of the Spotlight Salon, which is this great event yes. that you've put together. Tell us why you created the Spotlight Salon. Um, I know why I said yes to it, but I'm curious why did you create this uh, this this just mega event that we're all part of. Yeah, yeah. So I created it because I found that when I was pitching a lot to the British media, I'd walk into rooms and as a woman of colour, I would feel like um, everyone <laughs> kind of looks a bit like Samantha Jones, you know, I mean, like the British media scene. It was a lot of white, blonde women. Um, and it just wasn't that diversity of people I was pitching to, the journalists I was pitching to. And equally, when I was opening magazines and and following influencers, and this was, you know, pre-Black Lives Matter and back in 2016, I just didn't see enough diverse entrepreneurs featured in the media. Uh, And I'm talking about all types of diversity here, right? You know, I'm talking about sexual orientation, I'm talking about colour, I'm talking about neurodiversity. I just didn't see any of those topics talked about or those people represented. And so what what I decided to do last year was, was start the Spotlight Salon because, you know, I do have a great network now having kind of worked the kind of uh, the journalist scene here in the UK and now starting to do that in the US as well a lot. Um, it's about making sure that everyone gets an opportunity to pitch themselves. And it's not just people thinking, listening to today's podcast and thinking, I'm not glamorous enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not, you know, whatever enough. It's just, it's just rubbish. So everyone needs to be featured in the media because if we don't feature diverse voices in the media, we're providing a skewed sense of what the world looks like Mm. and actually the world is so much more diverse 
and so much more beautiful than what we put in the media. So we need to represent every story and every age group and every race and every type of person there is because that's what reflects the population. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? And, it, and if you don't as well, the other thing is economically, it holds a country back, right? If we don't have diverse companies that are successful and that are out there, economically we're not as productive Hmm. and that's what's been proven right diverse companies are proved to be more innovative because there is that creative thinking so there's a economic argument as well as that moral ethical one yeah and is that the is that the you know because we're going to invite everyone to come and join us there and to be part of the spotlight salon is that part of the promise that that come here join us and take your diverse, interesting idea and get it out there because that snowball effect can work in both ways that you've talked about, that that the snowball effect can yeah. be the same voices and so it's the same voices and so it's the same voices or we can get, we can somehow get in there, those of us with a different yes. perspective. Exactly, exactly. So the, the, that's exactly the, the, the promise, the kind of values behind the Spotlight Salon is, you know, inviting diverse speakers in to talk about how you can share your story um, but bringing in experts so people who have you know different expertise on different parts of visibility so that we can kind of uncover Mm. it right and kind of open the pandora's box so that being featured in the media isn't this glamorous (laughs) sort of thing that other people do it's what you can do you can do starting from today so you know you're obviously in the spotlight salon mike talking about the art of storytelling and getting that TED talk because you know for me sitting here I remember thinking wow I'd love to do a TED talk one day and for me it seems such an ambitious thing to do but actually when I listen to you you make it seem like it's something that anyone can do that it's accessible to everybody mm-hmm. so we've brought in experts like yourself you know I just interviewed Josie Cox who was the business editor of the Wall Street Journal at one point she's a phenomenal highly talented um, British journalist studying in Columbia now with the School of Journalism and seems to have written for every single publication under the sun. And she, you know, she very openly shares how you can pitch to her. Mm. Um, so everyone is lifting the lid on media and how you can be featured. Mm-hmm. You know, podcasting, television, TED Talks, you know, written stuff. So we kind of cover the breadth of it. But the whole, the idea is that you walk away with strategies and things you can do straight after each interview to apply into your business. And get more visible. Mm-hmm. Well, I love that too. Again, if you're, you know, the, the folks that are listening to this and thinking, oh, is this for just people with products? Is this just for people? Yeah. I mean, right there, that, that guest that you said from the Wall Street Journal, the previous Wall Street Journal business editor, those are the kind of people that speakers, experts, authors need to be in front of. And so learning directly from her, I mean, what a resource, learning directly from her of how to pitch her this is what we need. This is the kind of advice we're looking for. Yes. Okay. And that's one of the interviews yeah, that you get so- access to as part of this training. Yes, exactly. And and also the thing is, uh, I'm quite strategic in how I think about things as well. So I, I know that when people start listening to these interviews, they will they will want to pitch themselves. <laughs> but the other thing is, is that I've brought in a phenomenal expert, Tamika Owai, who talks about how you nurture an audience once you do get featured. So it's about thinking about that full journey, right? Because, you know, I made those classic mistakes when I was pitching my fashion business. I was on, you know, my, my product 
was on some famous influencers grid and then blew up and the next thing I knew I had all these leads <laughs> didn't know what to do with them had I met Tamika back then I would have known how to nurture them so I'm basically you're learning from me as the entrepreneur who's made all those mistakes what are the things to look out for so we we start off from uh you know how to get with your mindset with Taron Watt you know how to overcome your limiting beliefs um, and then we kind of take you through the journey of how you pitch for a podcast. You know, I talk about how you pitch the media. We also hear from Josie on you know, yeah. journalism. We talk to you about storytelling. Brielle talks about storytelling and vulnerability. So we go through that whole journey. Um, and then, you know, we kind of end with um, Amber Jagger saying, right, well, you're now going to get lots of money. How do you rewire a relationship with money? <laughs> so it kind of goes through that beautiful end-to-end journey, yeah. which... I think we we tend to forget, right? We just think, oh, we just get featured and that's it. And actually, the work begins after you get featured. I love that. And this the the event has a uh, charitable link as well. The Spotlight Salon. There's yes. a link to how we're supporting charity with it. Tell us about that. Yeah, so we're going to be supporting the Hazar Foundation. So it's a beautiful foundation that helps to promote peace-building activities in the world. Um, So I came across them in my yoga studio, and it's a foundation that's been set up in Switzerland where this phenomenal yoga instructor called Yoga Swari um, set up centers in places like Rwanda and Cambodia where they've had a lot of genocidal trauma and um, helps to just roll out yoga and meditation to those families that have really suffered. And um, the strange thing was, I was thinking back in January who I wanted to raise money for and um, came across this foundation in a yoga class. And then a few weeks later, the Ukraine war broke out. So it just feels like, you know, our, our, our world still needs these sorts of initiatives to take place around cross-cultural promotion and peace-building activities. So really proud to have chosen them. And, um, you know, all the summits, um, anyone attending the Spotlight Salon can listen to the recordings for free for the week. But I really encourage you to buy our all-access pass. Um, and it's $47. And all the proceeds from that go straight to the foundation. So it's going to very beautiful calls. And talk about... Um... You know, you were you were talking about the reason behind creating the Spotlight Salon of promoting more voices, putting them out there. And then I know for, for me, yeah. for probably everyone who's involved, being able to support a group like this uh, really is about re- that really puts the, uh, you know, you're, you're walking the talk. You're walking the talk, Adela, in doing that. Oh, oh thank you so much. Yeah. No, I, d- I, d- I just feel like, you know, w- there is that glamorous side of being featured in the media, right? You think, yeah, I've been featured. This is great. This is going to benefit my business and blah, blah, blah. But we need to th- think about giving back as well. And, and, you know, what's the bigger mission here? What are we trying to do? And for me, it's just how, how can I give back to society? You know, I can, I can put a beautiful summit together. I can, I'm, I'm a good pitcher. I can bring in the best experts to come into this salon as well. Um, but let's try and to have a positive impact in the world. And our world just feels a bit fragile right now. So anything we can do to, to give back, I, I think is, is an important and much needed thing. That's my interview with the always brilliant Adela Hussein. She has such great stories about uh, the work she's done in pitching to media. You can learn more about her at pitchtopress.com, pitchtopress.com. And you could join us in the Spotlight Salon at itsyourspotlight.com, itsyourspotlight.com. 
com, where uh, I'll be there. I'm talking about TEDx. I'm talking about being comfortable on camera, having the presence that is going to really help you when you do get those media spots. Why do some people really shine in the spotlight? I'll break that down for you, as well as a bunch of other great uh, leaders and entrepreneurs and thought leaders you're going to want to hear from. So it's your spotlight.com. We will see you there, and I will see you on the next episode of The Mic Drop Moment. This episode has ended, but your journey doesn't have to. Head on over to MikeBenino.com. Access all the resources and links that Mike and his guests shared today. And keep on crafting your own story. That's MikeBenino.com. Your audience is waiting. Isn't it time to find your hashtag mic drop moment? 